You're listening to audio from the Realm Church, a church community based in Oakland, California. For more information about the Realm Church, visit therealmchurch.com. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Westby. With you. All right. Well, this is a, a big day here for uh, America. This is the Super Bowl. All right. So I have to tell you, I'm a little split right now. All right. So, y'all know that I'm a Missourian, okay? I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. And, um, and so my auntie is in Kansas City. If you were watching this auntie, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> now, I was at her house last week, and so she looked at me funny when I said that I'm in the Bay. Now, I'm in the Bay, so I'm going to tell y'all. <laughs> Let's go 49ers. <laughs> uh, Ryan, just edit this part out, cut it. Do what you got to do. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm excited. Now, I know that Raiders fans, I'm stepping into something, so uh, I'm praying for my Raiders fans uh, 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 today. I see you, Ed. I see you, Ben. <laughs> All right. Um, so let me give you the, uh, this announcement before we start our time today. Um, I'll be preaching um, in the South Bay next week at a, uh, with a partnering church, uh, New Vision Church. And so uh, we have the privilege of having one of our own bring us the word next week. Uh, Chris uh, Kiyagiri, who just read for us and prayed for us, he will be preaching for us tomorrow, and I, I mean next week, and I'm so excited about, uh, about him preaching. I've heard him preach uh, over uh, the year and a half or so that I've been here at several locations. You will be blessed. This is a man who loves the word, knows the word, and doesn't want to give you his own advice. He wants to give you the word of God. And so uh, be ready for that. Please, everybody show up. Invite your friends in them, your neighbor in them, and, uh, and uh, you'll be blessed by the word of God as he teaches uh, Acts chapter 15 to us. All right, now, let's pick up where we left off last week. Uh, last week, we talked about this idea of life on mission. I'm going to turn this off a little, turn this this way. We talked about life on mission. We talked about the fact that life on mission is about this idea of God imparting something in us, namely the gospel, the truth of the gospel. It's God's love that he's imparted to us. It's his grace and his mercy. It, it is it's mind-boggling how God loves people so much. We're so undeserving of it, and he imports it to us. As a matter of fact, in this section of Scripture, in Acts chapter 14, Paul is, it says that he is given the message of grace. It is a message of grace. It is a message of love that God gives us that we may impart it to other people. That is the mission that we have. We live on life on mission to impart to others what God has given us because God has loved us much. We don't deserve it. God has loved us much, and we want to love other people through loving God, through all of our being, our mind, soul, strength, everything within us, and we also want to love people as we love ourselves, the two great commandments that God has called us to. That is the mission. Now, let me put this into more biblical terms, because we've hear, heard words like missionary and mission trips, and, and some of that has bad connotation. You have the missions district in San Francisco. You have missions that were set up all up and down uh, California. You have all of these missions. Sometimes to some people, it brings up a recent memory of people from the outside coming in and taking over and forcing people through the edge of a sword to convert. That's not what we mean. When we say life on mission. As a matter of fact, you may be surprised to know that the word, the Bible never actually uses the word missionary. What is the biblical idea of what we're talking about? Because today we're going to talk about life on mission. They use the terminology disciple making. 
that the mission of the Christian is actually to make disciples. Where do we get that from? Matthew 28, Acts 1 and 8. What does Jesus say? And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always into the end of the age. Okay, so you have Jesus actually instructing the church to make disciples. You have it also in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the central theme of the whole book of, the, of Acts as we're going through Acts. It's probably important to know that. What is the, the central theme? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are called to the work. There is no mission apart from the individuals. There's no mission of the church apart from the individuals making up the church. The mission of the church is what everybody in the church is called to if they call on the name of the Lord. It is actually to make disciples. Now, in our day and age, that sounds weird to people. To make disciples, is that manipulative, Pastor? Isn't that manipulative in this day and age to try to make somebody's... Let me tell you something. It is not manipulative because it's okay in every other arena in life. You're going to see dozens of commercials today that's going to be trying to make somebody a follower of their product. All right? Everybody tries to do this. They want to make you... Come and make... uh, You should come and follow my thing. Come and follow me. Instagram, (laughs) Facebook, Twitter... Follow what I say. We ain't got that much to say, all right? (laughs) Come and follow me. It is something that our culture does. It is not something unique to Christianity. There's someone always vying for our allegiance and fighting for our commitments and fighting for our attention. Netflix, Hulu, uh, Disney Plus, which one are you going to choose? Come and follow us and and go through us and our means. It may seem superficial, but listen to me. That's why you have branding. People brand because they want you to spend your money and your attention and your allegiance to them. And then we say that, no, don't do this when it comes to faith. Something more serious. Something more serious as to how you can come to know the God that made you. How you can even come in contact with what it means to have eternal life. Because we all know that life is not promised to us. As we're reminded of that last week with Kobe Bryant. Our mortality is all around, around us, mortality, and we have to be committed to those things that are eternal in its significance. What is a disciple? Listen, here's a good definition of disciple. It's someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself or themselves to the discipline of the leader of the way. Whenever there is a teacher and those taught The idea of discipleship is present. Jesus says that go and make followers of me. Followers of what? Of my teachings. What we're essentially saying is that Jesus Jesus has teachings and he has the way of life. And there's a way of being that Jesus teaches and offers to humanity. And we say that, listen, I I understand that that you're, you're going and blowing and you're living life. I understand that you believe that there's no way to know God. This took this day and age. People don't know what to make of the Bible because they've heard so many things about the Bible. It is our job to say that, listen, there is a way to know God. 
there's a way to commune with God. There's a way that you can actually enter into God's throne. There's a way that you can know the one and true living God. There is a way, and that way is through Jesus Christ, this person that lived 2,000 years ago, went by the name of Yeshua. My life mission and the life mission of everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord is to make disciples. That's your purpose. That is a purpose that is worth living for. It is also worth dying for, as we see. Today, we get to see some examples as to how they actually went about making disciples in a pluralistic society. This is what they did. When we talk about and when we watch the way that they moved about, we watch how they go from town to town, what are they doing? They are living out their life purpose of making disciples. So I want us to learn from what Barnabas and what uh, Paul does as they're making disciples. And I think it's something that will be helpful for us as we look and say, okay, Lord, if you're calling me to make disciples, if you're calling me to offer you to people and impart to them what, I, what you've imparted to me, how do I do that in a society that does not like you, that misunderstands who you are? Most of what they heard about Jesus is not even what the, the Jesus of the Bible is, the Jesus of culture. And so how do we, we do that? Because the fact of the matter is, I heard a preacher say this, this, this phraseology, God uses marvelously flawed people to accomplish his will. Does that not make God accessible? The fact that God does not use perfect people to do his will. He used flawed people to do his will. And through that, we understand and we see by tangible example that God loves us. And God loves the outsider. And God is using us to bring the insider, the outsider into the inside. So before I, 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 I say this, I think this is why it's important for us to stay in communion with God on a daily basis. This is why it's important for us to understand what the Bible teaches regarding who Christ is if the discipline of Christianity is the teachings of Jesus. This is why it's important for us to understand the overarching theme of the Bible if we're going to offer to people. You cannot offer what you don't know, and you cannot offer what you don't have. We don't want to be like my man, and this is no, no insult against my man Elon Musk, but uh, y'all seen this example um, of the, the unbreakable truck? Yeah, the world was watching. The unbreakable truck threw something at the one and it broke. Huh. No, he should have probably tested that thing and knew that truck before he did it. We don't go out as ones who don't know what we're offering. What are we offering? And we're going to figure out ways in which we can understand and know what it means to be a disciple. Amen? All right, let's just do a, a, a quick uh, recap here of what's going on as they're going from town to town. All right. And so you have a map here. This map shows the first missionary trip of uh, Barnabas. It was John Mark with them, and it was Paul. They leave from Jerusalem. We're not going to go over all the trips, but I want to just show us where they are right now. You have Palestine right here to the south. You have Syria right there to the north. That has not changed for thousands of years. At least 3,000 years, we know that that has been uh, the case. Right now, they are up north uh, where, uh, where you see Galatia at and Iconium. And so that's where we find ourselves this morning. Let's go ahead and jump into our text. The first thing I want us to learn when it comes to principles of how you make disciples is first we have to understand when speaking in Iconium. When you go to Iconium, this is what we have them doing. They're speaking in Iconium. Let's learn from what they do, what they did. The first thing I want us to see is that we have to learn how to speak in such a way. 
speak in such a way. This first thing we see. Let's read verse 1. It says that now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles believed. Now, I'm not sure what that really means in terms of how they spoke, but whatever they spoke, at the minimum, they spoke in a winsome way, or they spoke in a way that made sense to the people that they were explaining this thing to. They spoke in such a way, which means that they did not go to Iconium to say that, let me beat you over the head and make you feel guilty and then make you see. They did not do that. They did not go in and argue with people. When it comes to the task of making disciples and importing truth to people, you do not do it. I used to, y'all know I'm from the Midwest. It's not the South California. Don't call Missouri the South. It's the Midwest. (laughs) The South is the South, and I ain't got nothing against the South. But when I grew up in the Midwest, my mama used to tell me that, James, you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. The task of the Christian is not to offer vinegar to the world. The task of them is to offer the sweetness of, of honey. The beauty of the honey is that it doesn't mean that we avoid the truth of what's wrong with us, but it it, uh, offers the hope of how God fixes our most deepest problem, our separation from him, our sin that separates us from him, the nature, the radicalization of everything being altered as a result of one man's sin in the world. The gospel says that God has a way of healing that, and as a matter of fact, you don't even have to be perfect in order to enter into his love. Someone has to be perfect, and you enter through that person's perfection, namely Jesus. They spoke in such a way, which means that they thought about what they said. They leaned on the spirit. They, they're studying up on what they believe, and they're understanding. This is a call for us to understand who we're talking to and study the word and study what's going on that you may be able to speak in such a way. Now, that doesn't mean that the result of the thing is on them, but we have a responsibility to to study the word. We have a responsibility to understand the times that we're in. They spoke in such a way. One. Two, disagreement shouldn't mean disengagement. Disagreement shouldn't mean disengagement. Well, what do you mean, preacher? Right there in the next two, verses 2 and 3. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. It says that you have Jews that poisoned the minds of the Gentiles. They said that basically you should not listen to these people. It says that so, after that, you would have thought it would say that, well, they end up going somewhere else. Well, or you would have, maybe you would have seen, well, because of this, they went somewhere else. It says, so they remained. Well, how do you sow that? How do you sow they remained? How do you remain there committed to preaching, committed to making disciples, even though you have people all around you poisoning people's minds against you? For them, that meant, that didn't mean that you don't share. That didn't mean that you just stopped talking. But for them, that meant that you press in a little harder. We are living in a culture that people readily poison people's minds against Christians. They poison. You have your Richard Dawkins of the world that wants to uh, encourage people to literally mock Christianity, an atheist who mocks Christianity. You have people that are trying to continue to, uh, continue to poison people's mind against Christians. It is not uh, a sign that we should retreat. He says that they, they so they remained for a long time. That's why we're in the bay. 
The bay literally has less than 4% Christian presence in this place. You have people that on the regular say that I don't want to go there. That, that's, they, they crazy up there. I don't, I don't want to go there. That's why you go. That's why you sup with people. You stay and you remain in it. Why? Because there are people that are poisoned in mind or there are people that don't believe and don't understand the love of God for them. So we go. So we remain. Because the truth is, the weight of what we have to offer people is too important. People's eternal states are at stake here. It is too important. So we go and the Lord bless them. Disagreement should not mean disengagement. Three, know when to dust your feet off. However, you have to know when to dust your feet off. Now listen, let me bring this home just a little bit. You have Paul, you have uh, Barnabas going out, they're going from town to town, and they're preaching the gospel to entire cities. They're going to marketplaces, they're going to the swap meet, they're going to everywhere, um, uh, wherever, what, what did you call that, um, uh, fisherman, no, the marketplace. Fleet, no, the, yeah, okay, the, just give it up, James, okay. Farmer's market, come on. I got to become a little bit more uh, hipster-ish. I got to cuff my jeans so he can uh, come to me. Farmer's market. You got them, they go everywhere where they see people at and they begin to proclaim. Let's bring this home. You have people in your life that you are called to import God's word to. You see them going through things in their life. You see that the, the, maybe they're going an unwise direction. And God has living, uh, literally given you the words of life to give them. You have people in your class at, at school that you literally see that, listen, there is a word that God wants me to give you from his scriptures. And I want to give you want to import God's word and God's way to people. What happens when they fight against you? One, you know that if they fight against you that you don't necessarily disengage, Right? I'm so thankful that my art teacher did not disengage from James when I was kicking against her. I'm so glad for people who continue to stay in the fight with me to pray for me, even though I was making dumb, stupid decisions. I'm so grateful for people and parents that continue to pray for us and labor over us and friends. Continue to pray for people. However, there is a time when it's time to move on. We see this, Jesus says this himself. As a matter of fact, you see that terminology in chapter 13, where it says that they literally dust the, uh, their feet off and they moved on, which is an expression in the ancient world that it's time to move on. The guilt is on them, not on you. There's times in your life where you're trying to import something to someone and they won't listen. They're fighting against you. And we learn here that the, the extent in which people are willing to fight against you. Says that, listen, it's time to move on. Verse 5 When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lysolia, and to the surrounding country. And there, um, and there they continued to preach the gospel. They didn't stay there like, yeah, bring it on. No, you use wisdom. There's going to be people that's going to say that, listen, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. I'm done with it. You have to learn how to move on unless you get sucked up in that thing and go down with them. Those are simple things you can learn from Iconium. I mean, from Iconium, when you're in Iconium making disciples. What happens when they go to Lystra? All right, so they, they go. They say, all right, it's time to go, and they go to Lystra. When loving Lystra, because we see acts of love in Lystra as well. One first thing we see when they're in Lystra, here's the principle that I want us to see. You attempt to love your neighbor greatly. You want to learn how to, what it means to 
make disciples for Jesus. You can't make disciples apart from loving people. You cannot make disciples apart from the action of love. This is why God says, or Jesus says, that the second of the greatest commandments is to love people as you love yourself. You will know that people belong to me by your love for one another. It is love. As a matter of fact, you see, when Chris was talking about this yesterday, in 1 Corinthians 13, you have this layout of what the definition of love is, and you can have faith, but without love, it means absolutely nothing. You have to love people. How do we see this? Verse 8 says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul looking intently at him and seeing him that he had faith to, uh, to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. The beauty of this is that we see God at work in this powerful way. This is the apostolic age, and God is using the apostles through this age in a very special way. Why? Because God is going to validate that he's with them. God is going to validate that Christianity is the movement that belongs to him. But you have a very impossible thing before them. Listen, it says three times in three different ways about this man's condition. What does it say? He could not use his feet. One, from birth, he could not use his feet. Two, he had never walked. He had never used his feet. They're wanting to set up before the reader that, listen, this is truly an impossible situation that only God could do. It says that Paul intently looked at this man, and did he, uh, because of his faith, the man was listening to what Paul was proclaiming as he was proclaiming the gospel. There was something about what the man was doing that it signaled to Paul that this man was believing on Jesus. I don't know if that was an amen or sad preacher or whatever he was saying, but whatever he was saying, the man was motioning that there was faith present in this man. And he said that because of your faith in Jesus, you have been made well. Stand up. It says that Paul, this viceroy, this representative of God on earth, this representative gives this man this gift of healing. God is able. But what you see is that you see that this man intently looks at. Paul intently looks at this man. I think this is a great encouragement that as we're going through Lystra of life, as we are moving about in life, you cannot properly love your neighbor or serve your neighbor if you're not even slowing down enough to intently look at someone. What are the needs that are before you? That is one of the best ways and easiest ways to make a disciple or for someone to see the love of God and to experience the love of God. Slow down, intently look at what's going on with them, and then maybe you can meet a need that they have in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. He says that he intently saw this man, and he heals this man. What are the areas? Who are the neighbors around you? There are, did you know that people in this world feel amazingly alone? I say that it's amazingly alone because we are surrounded by so much, yet people feel alone. People want to be seen. People want to know that God hears them. People want to know that there's someone who cares about them. And, and, and I, I can see Desiree in my mind as she is going to people, random people, and, and talking with them and, and what it causes them to, to feel. I remember that we were at the mall in Louisville and Desiree saw something and we were trying to get to the car and Desiree saw this, 
this woman, and I, I said, Desiree, we got to get to the car. We got these kids. You got to get to the car. And she says, no, I see something. I said, Desiree, what would you, I see this woman. She, I said, girl, she eyed. <laughs> Desiree was able to see something. This is why it's important for us to know our gifts. She saw something in this woman, and she went to this woman. Look, I'm, I don't know if, if, I, if I'm off base here, but she began to talk and minister to this woman, and the woman began to weep before her. She intently looked. She was open to what the Lord was willing to do. I wonder what would happen if we would just pray to God and say that, Lord, will you use me today? One, and Lord, I'm feeling lonely. Would you send someone to me? And maybe this is an invitation for us to actually speak and say when we are lonely. That's the purpose. I don't want anybody in our church feeling lonely. If you are lonely, say something. I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you're at your darkest hour. Call me. Call somebody and someone will be there prayerfully. You don't have to feel lonely. You are intently seen. And I'm going to move on from this point, but I love this because this is exactly what we see with Jesus in Mark chapter 4 when he comes off of the sea and he sees a sinner like we all are, like Matthew, sitting up there taking taxes from people coming off. And he had done his people so wrong, stealing from his own people, doing taxes for Rome, and they hated him. But Jesus intently, it says, and Jesus saw him. It was a scene. This, he saw everything about this man, and he said that, I know who you are, and I want you. We have to be willing to see. Here's a principle that I want us to hear. You'll never be effective at discipling if you're not utilizing your gifts. There are gifts. Desiree has a gift of discernment. We see it in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Desiree has a gift of discernment. You all have gifts if you're called upon the name of the Lord. God has imparted his gift to you, gifts to you. Some of us one, some of us more than one. God wants to use that for his glory. I also want us to see that don't get the L words confused. Okay, what do you mean, Pastor? Do not let people convert your leadership and love in their lives into lordship over their life. Don't let anyone make you into a god, because they will. And that's exactly what we see in this text. Let's go ahead and read this. It says that, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying, and uh, uh, Lysonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. They literally, not figuratively, we're not talking about figure, they literally made these men into gods because they had seen the love of God imported through these men and through their ministry. They made them into gods. Meaning that these men immediately became something that they were not supposed to be and they became everything to the people. There was a tradition at this time. This was an actual, real, culturally-based tradition that in this part of the country, they actually had a, a, um, a narrative that said that Zeus and Hermes had come down, uh, or Paulo and Mercury, that's the way the Greeks said it, Romans said Zeus and, um, and, uh, and Hermes. They had come down, and they had lived amongst the people, and everyone treated them horribly until one person treated them, and he brought them into their home, and he treated them well. And Zeus and Hermes did what the ancient gods did, Greek gods did, and they killed everybody in the town. He killed everybody in the town, and they said that, listen, I'm not going to kill you because you hosted me. You were entertaining gods amongst you. You didn't know it. 
they were afraid that they would do the same thing. By the, by the time that story made it to this town, they wanted to treat these people, and they thought it was actually Zeus in the flesh, and they thought it was Hermes in the flesh. Also, just real quick, side note, we learned something about Paul and Barnabas through this, some physical features about them. We know that through other places, even in this same part of the country, there was a tradition that came 100 years later describing what Paul looked like, and it said that Paul was small in stature, Okay. We also learned something about Barnabas. They thought he was Zeus. If they thought he was Zeus, my man was probably lifting weights or something. You know, he was probably a, 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 a big guy, good stature, probably handsome. All right? He's called the son of encouragement. But what that, but what that also means is that uh, Paul was the talker. Paul, could not, Paul spoke everywhere he went, and they thought that he was Hermes. They made him lord of their lives. And you see quickly, they like, say, no, 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 don't do that. 20 years ago, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm preaching God's message. I'm at someone's home and strangers' homes, but I was invited through someone else. House full of people, and as I'm preaching, something happens in the house where someone literally fell to the knees and then began to worship me. This can really happen literally. And I had to say, no, don't do that. Get off of your knees. I am not Jesus. I am not God. There are subtle ways that we can take glory from God. That's a more explicit way. We learned in just a chapter earlier, uh, that uh, two chapters earlier, that God struck Herod Agrippa the first down. Why did he strike him down? Because he stole the glory from God. Listen, there are going to be people that are going to like what you do and like how you encourage them. The responsibility of the Christian, the responsibility of God's people is to immediately give credit to God. I like it what you said, brother, today. Thank you. Even when we are healed by the hand of a doctor, we say that, Lord, thank you so much. We give you glory because it could have went another way, and God endowed the doctor with the mind to do it. We don't take glory from God. That is a good warning for us all. I like this example as I move on, but to beat a dead horse, let's, I like beating a dead horse. Uh, this is one of my favorite movies. One of my favorite movies, y'all should know, is Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, yes. And if you haven't seen it, it is time you need to repent, turn from that, and see the movie. You see that right here we have the steward of Gondor. The steward of Gondor is you see that he's sitting on a lesser seat. The throne is empty because the king was not there yet. He was not um, uh, taken, uh, going through the process by which he should become king. The problem with this king right here, with this guy, Stuart, he's not a king. The problem with him is that he got his role confused. They said, brother, when we are in trouble, you're supposed to light this beacon that we may have all the armies come and help us. And this fool, excuse me, sitting up here saying that, hey, um, I am the king. I have the responsibility of the king, and I don't have to do that. Let's not be here. Let's, let's stay in our place. We want to stay right there. We are not people's gods. Do not become everything to everybody. Learn how to say that I cannot do that. And learn to pray with, but I can pray with you. I can point you to other people. Amen? I think we get this point. All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's move down to um, when Lister returns your love with hate. When you are going about making disciples and you have Lystra and you're preaching to Lystra and you're showing love to Lystra, but Lystra returns your love with hate, this is the pains of making disciples. Let's go ahead and read that. Uh, look at that. The first thing I want us to see with that, as I get ready to close here, is the people you try to love can be the very ones that cause you the greatest hurt. Paul and Barnabas are there that people may know that you're not alone in the universe and you can actually know the one and true living God. 
that you don't have to cry on your pillow at night feeling alone because God is actually present. And you don't have to have it all together in order to come to know God. As a matter of fact, God wants you. While they're trying to love these people, you have Jews coming and following them from town to town. They didn't just leave them there. They're following them. And they follow behind them, and then they are literally stoned. This is an actual thing that happened, not just a story in the Bible. I know that I have heard, I mean, that I have experienced hurt from people. I know that I, pastors can be hurt. People can be hurt. We're all, we've all been hurt. You've been human long enough. You know that you can be hurt by people, even when we're trying to love. But here's what I want you to, to know, because he was stoned. But here's what we have to know here. Here's what we have to know. Listen. The temptation when we are hurt by people is to become insular. We don't want to be vulnerable with people anymore, whether that's through a relationship whether that's, that's through a, a male-female relationship, whether that's through a friend, whether that's through a parent, we don't want to be vulnerable anymore. And we call this the shadows of the heart because the shadows of a heart have a way of controlling all of our actions, and we don't want to expose anybody to that part anymore. So how we do life is a life that's safe, not fully vulnerable, and thus we cut ourselves off from the benefit of true community where we're fully known. Look at what Paul does with the mission. It says that he got up. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day went on with Barnabas to Derby. This brother went on the next day. Give me the next, next train. Give me the next Uber. Give me the next bus. I'm there. How does he? Do? I would have been like, um, it's time to go back to Tarsus. Uh, and shall I go back to home? I'm, I'm a, I need to heal up a bit. <laughs> While this brother is, is aching, and he talks about this in other letters, how, how he was bruised in his body, and he still carried the marks on his body till the day of his death, he got up and still remained on mission because what he had was life-giving, and he knew that it would transform people's lives if all he could do is get the message of, the, of love and the message of God to people. It's worth it. He got up. I think that this is encouragement to us. Listen, it's time to get up. We've been down for so long over that hurt, and it doesn't mean that you just get over it. It means that maybe we begin to walk through it and deal with it responsibly. We begin to stare it in the face and deal with it and say, that, Lord, why did you let this happen? You begin angry, and God can handle that. You read the Psalms. This is not heresy. You read the Psalms and David was fully alive with God and fully himself. It's kind of silly not to be since God knows it. It says, you don't think I see that anger in your heart and you may not express it, but you express it uh, through your relationships with other people? You, may, you don't think I see that? God sees it. He has x-ray vision, y'all. He sees it. Maybe it's time for us to begin to deal with that hurt and talk with someone. I'm here. Talk with me. Let's work through that. There's processes that we can go through to expose the shadows of the heart and bring the light of the gospel and the light of hope to those dark spots that you may get back on mission for the Lord. And some people actually need to hear your story. Some people need to be freed from what, what, what you went through and how you experienced God's love in that area. Some people need to experience that. It's time to get up. You got back up bearing the marks. The marks didn't go away. We're not saying that the scars go away. 
but it doesn't mean that it has to paralyze you. You can still be on mission, and God can use it mightily. Let me close with this point. When going about the stuff of making disciples, discipleship is a never-ending work. We don't just do the stuff of making disciples, but we are disciples. Lord, I am your disciple. I am submitting myself to you. One of the old axioms during this time is that a disciple was one who literally carried the dust of their teacher because they're following so close behind them. Not just proximity of them, but they're also so low. They're humble that they're picking up the dust that the teacher is uh, picking up, uh, uh, kicking up as he's walking. It's a never-ending work. Let's read that in verse 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra, Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. When they go through... They go back. They go back from they, where, where they came when you looked at the map. They go back and they hit all of those cities that they, what they went to. What do they do? They're strengthening them. They're praying for them. They're encouraging them. They're appointing elders in the church, which is why I believe in team and are a multitude of, of elders. I will not be the, the, the only elder in this, in this place or the other elders in this place. Why does he do that? As a matter of fact, let me give you this as well. When you, you can understand something about the New Testament more deeply. When we're going through these towns, this is what makes up the New Testament. He's going to be writing letters to these people. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. As he's going through, he's writing letters back to them. Why does he do this? Why is he doubling back and making sure that they are encouraged? Because it's something that we need. We need to be in the process or in the habit of making sure that we're encouraging one another. We are encouraging one another with our gifts. We're always encouraged. Hey, let me, let me read this text to you and, and let me double back and, and let me make sure that you are encouraging your soul and that you do not lose heart. I know that it is hard. I know that you live in a culture that doesn't believe. I know that you, have, you live in a culture that wants you to get rid of your own beliefs, but I'm going to double back. Will you do that for me? Will you do that for the person sitting next to you? Will you be the encouragement that we need? Will you allow God to use you through your gifts, through the power of the Spirit to encourage? Because pastors get discouraged, and we all go through discouragement. We need it, and we all need to be make sure that we're in the relationship of discipling one another, being discipled, and making disciples. Y'all get the mission of our life? Amen. We're reminded of this, why we should do this, because Jesus made us his disciples. Reminded of this every week when we meet. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and said, this is my body. Take and eat. He invites those that follow him to come after him. Count the cost. Eat his body. Took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it. This is my body broken for you. He said, God's body just went down to the floor. Likewise, Jesus took the cup and said that this is the cup of my new covenant. Take and drink. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. There is mercy. 
There is grace, there is love, there is encouragement offered here this morning through taking his body. And then you remind yourself that you are a disciple, a lowly, broken, marvelously flawed disciple. If you are not a disciple, you have not entered into the kingdom through faith, believing that God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not die but have everlasting life. If you have not turned from your way and turned to God, turned from your sins and actually turned to God through faith to believe on him for this salvation, not that you have to be perfect, but you say that, Lord, I know that I am broken. Help me. If you have not done that, then please do not partake of this meal because this is a declaration of belief. If you're Christian, come and eat and suffer the mercies of the Lord. We have gluten-free options as well, out there as well. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to pray for us, Lord, that we may come into a greater conviction of what our mission in life is and how we can do this, Lord, in the, all the doings of life, God, at our jobs, in our schools, with our neighbors, with our friendships, no matter where we are, Lord, you can use us, Lord. But we want to say that, Lord, how do you want to use us, Lord? Use us. What are the gifts that you've given me, God? Liberate them. Lord, I want to make time in my schedule because it's your time, and I want to give it to you, that I may be a disciple first, and that I may help to make disciples by importing your way your truth into the lives of other people and your love. Lord, we love you. And we pray this in the name of Christ.